Hello and welcome to the Film Ireland podcast. I'm Gemma Cray and I'm chatting with filmmaker Ken Wardrop about his wonderful new film So This Is Christmas out the 17th of November having just screened at the Cork International Film Festival. This was such an absolutely beautiful film. You have a very unique style when it comes to um the way that and like I'd recognize a film of yours if I saw it and it didn't have your name attached. There's a, a, a feel to the pacing and there's a feel to the um to the to that kind of emotions behind it. Just tell me a little bit about, you know, how is this something that you just feel naturally inclined to do? Is this something that you strive to do that you've achieved over the years? How do you like how do you sort of curate your own style so strongly? Well, uh, yeah, Gemma, that's a very good question. I don't know the answer to that because I think it's just developed over time. And I guess I locked into it when I was in college. I started to make, and you you know, when it comes to editing in particular, I suppose you are, I just follow my gut and I let things unfold and I have a sort of, and I have edited a lot of my work in the past. So I have that. So I guess when I'm filming too, I'm editing as I go because my works, my the, the films are really uh, creative documentaries and there is construction involved and I am interfering. I mean, most uh, every time you put a camera in front of someone you're interfering in the reality let's face it to some degree but I guess I I kind of interfere so I do direct a certain amount of it as well um, you know I don't put words in people's mouths or anything so when I do go into the interview that's very authentic and stuff but obviously especially with this film for example we we're shooting on 35 millimeters so I had to have a plan in place so it wasn't random when we put you know Loretta doing something in her world you know I've got it planned out to a certain amount and then what happens in that frame is I tend to let things unfold and you know some people might cut especially on 35 millimeter when you're so worried about stock and stuff if something goes wrong but I've prepped everybody to just keep going whatever happens happens and sometimes if you note even in a few of the frames, uh, for example, with, uh, you know, when the dog, when Shane is going home to the house, is one of our characters and the dog randomly runs out and across the beach, you know, we hadn't obviously planned that. So just keep going, whatever, let that unfold. And then invariably it finds its way into the film because it just seems to flow. And I, I'm someone that also, um, it, you'll note that I don't move the camera a lot. And so, that kind of came out of, like when I was in film school, I would go back to the beginning and you're trying to find, I, I entered film school as someone that wasn't really sure what I'd end up doing. I thought maybe I'd be a producer or a production designer or something. Uh, so I, I didn't come from being a cinephile. I hadn't watched movies growing up and fallen in love with directors and had learned film language before I landed in film school. It was all an adventure to me. So that adventure meant that, you know, I started to watch films and uh, enjoy films in a way that I'd never done before. Uh, and I think, I suppose I found films that were, want of a better word, slower or meditative, more interesting. And maybe that was a reaction to what other people were doing in my class so too. You know, there were a lot of people interested in action and thriller and suspense and all that where I found myself drawn to the works of people like Mike Lee and, you know, more sort of, I remember um, 
just, you know, I, I remember in fourth year when um, You Can Count On Me came out, that film by Kenneth Lonergan. I remember that was like a real revelation to me. And that's quite a slow burn sort of film. And I guess everything I kind of enjoyed was a little bit, um, and I'm not saying my films are slow, but they just evolve differently. And this is something that, um, as I said, I didn't learn, it just came out and it's a style that I developed. And how I landed in <clears throat> documentary was again, accidental because in film school, I would have been set little tasks. You know, everybody's given different, you know, secondary, you do this, third year, you do that. And invariably I would turn to my family because I'd, I knew that I stood out coming from a farming background and I knew that world was a little bit original and that my family were, you know, they were ordinary folk, but in that sense, they were a bit quirkier because it was, you know, all their dramas evolved around cattle and sheep and, you know, the family dogs and stuff. So I knew, you know, by just doing projects with them, I was standing out from the crowd. You know, I wasn't presenting another film about a gun that was being shot or, you know, something like that, that I knew nothing about. So I was doing college projects and at the same time, I was starting to realize I've got something here that seems to connect with people. Um, firstly, documentary seemed to be working for me. Every time I proposed a script or I wrote a script, it was not getting lauded by the, you know, it was like, there was lots of questioning around it. And I realized, gosh, this is not my forte. Whereas if I go out and do my thing and then present it at a later day, it all seems to go down okay. So I sort of veered into documentary by that. You do have some very interesting, um, like socially conscious projects on the slate. And I think yours, your projects always touch so much in the community. And even though there's always like a theme, what again, what I love about your work is the theme is is something that you don't even know it's a theme until you until you watch it and how universal and warm it is and, and how it impacts a community and that fallout. And I, I love that you have tackled Christmas for this film. I mean, Christmas, when you talk about themes, I'm always worried from an early point. Like I, I have the idea of exploring Christmas. I think that's how we we kind of started it. It came out of um two scenarios. If we go back in the genesis of the concept, Firstly, I, my, uh, my granny passed away when I was 12 years of age and she was living in her house. So um, my little brother actually found her in the morning, Christmas morning, and uh, it was all very dramatic. Obviously, you're young and everything, but it was actually the aftermath from Christmas that followed became quite a dark time because mum, it was our granny's anniversary. It wasn't Christmas any longer. It was like it was tainted by this sadness and my mom and my gran had been so close so it was really difficult time so I remember and it stayed with us thereafter mom would always start the kind of season going oh I dread Christmas it was like just oh that why the title was I hate Christmas for originally yes because I thought I would be exploring the people that hated Christmas or that would have uh, an aversion to this time of year so it's kind of um, you know, we went out with that and it morphed into something else, obviously, because it is an exploration. Uh, and the second kind of inspiration was another family member who, a single mom, and she just obviously struggles, you know, in the context of being a single parent and all, you know, all the responsibility, but also the financial woes that that kind of puts on someone. And 
I remember it, the expectations were always so high and yet it would fall apart invariably. It was never as good as the people had hoped. And anyway, it was just so stressful. And I just, you know, I escaped for two Christmases and I found that quite liberating myself. I went abroad uh, and, and I had the ability to do that. Anyway, long story short, I suggested, we, you know, there must be a documentary in Christmas because you don't really see docs that explore Christmas. You know, it's not like I'm familiar with anyone personally, any of them personally. So, uh, yeah, when I suggested to my producer colleague, Andrew, he was like a Christmas doc. Um, so then we went out and started to research it. And I suppose from early on, when I found people that may have had difficulties or would, would be struggling at that time of year, the struggle was obvious. But then, of course, people's hopes are different. And that's the aspect of the film that I didn't realize. Okay, Christmas is also a time of hope. And it's really needed in people's lives, you know, even though you might be going through a difficult patch or, you know, things may look complicated, bleak, you know, difficult. You need to have hope. We all need to have hope. And Christmas presents that in a way, even though, you know, there are messages hidden underneath um, the commercialized stuff, the other biology, for want of a better word. And we all know that, you know, the Americanized, and I say Americanization because I do think that's where it kind of shifted, you know, because I look at my Scandinavian friends, they seem to still have the Christmases of old that I remember, like with the orange and the sock and the sock and, you know, but America, Americanized Christmases have won out. The battle is over. It is what it is now. There's no going back. And, um, but somewhere beneath all that, there is a little bit of a hope that it still exists there, whether we look to the religiousity or whatever around the Christmas time, but we kind of do hang on to it in the back of our minds too. And families get together, they kind of commit to things and that's beautiful. And we, you know, so it did emerge, even though I thought it would be a much more negative response to that time of year. And did you, did that shift as you were casting and doing the prep or was because or like, because I know you had, or or did it shift in the edit as you were going through it? Like when did that kind of change it, from that, pitch to? Yeah, that's a good question. It shifted in my thinking about the film at different points. It would have shifted when I met some people. I remember in particular when we would have met, and I know this is something that, you know, I'm not um, a church going person or religious in any way. But when I met our adorable priest in Gort, he did, he really explained to me the message behind Advent as being a hopeful one. And that sort of was like, oh, I didn't even know the meaning of Advent. I didn't know it's Genesis or whatever. So that sort of lodged in my brain at that point going, okay, there's hope here. And then Jason, our, our dad, our single dad who had lost his wife, Roxy, it was so important to him that there was hope in their lives that it came out actually in the conversation and everything. My conversation with the priest in the research phase had it lodged in my head. Then during the production, it was during the interview with Jason that he pointed this out, this 
this need for humanity in general, but for him and his family in particular to have that sense of hope in order to get through this incredibly, unbelievably difficult scenario that they're faced with. Of course, he needed hope. So then you go into the edit and like you're presented with all of these very um, complex narratives and you know, sad, for want of a better word, sad scenarios. And yes, it took us a while to come around to what is the ending of this film. But, you know, it did evolve and it was like, actually, we need to have the message of hope embedded here because, you know, that's what we all, I suppose, want at the end of the day however difficult and we all have problems and I always think of a Christmas as the perfect storm if you have problems when you're hit with Christmas it just accentuates it triggers them all compounds everything and none of us are fortunate enough just to have one problem invariably there are problems coming you know different angles so it compounds so what I'm saying is that you know you you have to have hope to get through those and like it's a weird one you have to hope to get through Christmas that all of these things will subside and the new year will come a new opportunity so it just felt appropriate to be honest but I was guided by the characters I met along the way and it's beautiful it's so um I think there's the there's that bittersweetness that kind of emotional um arc for everybody and it isn't it isn't sort of happy days for everything but I think it, it yeah like it's real life and that's the thing when you present real life and actually across the board I've just said that none of us are faced with one problem in life. So what you're faced with are in this story, just one of the complexities in these people's lives in general. I know I layered it, but these, what you see is just at the tip of the iceberg. And I think, you know, uh, I think that's all our lives, you know? Um, and when you go out to make a film and I was, you know, I not, Previously, in all the other films, I had way more characters. So this is the most I've ever gone in depth with characters. I only had five characters here, where previously I would have had, you know, in his and hers, there were 60, 70 characters. Mom and me, I had about 30, you know. And then um, the piano lesson probably less. So this is the longest I've ever spent with people. And yet, I was only discovering things on day five when we were packing up that, you know, are elements of the story. Like all our lives, we're multidimensional and so much more is going on. And this, the again, because it's so sad, does an edit like that take it out of you or do you just go into logic, um, technical oh, it, brain? No, it's, it's, Gemma, this whole film has been an emotional roller coaster for me because these people are so precious and have become my friends and you know when I say people I'm speaking about Mary, Loretta, Annette, Shane and Jason they are my mates now I have been I know them all personally I have cried with them all I have experienced their uh, families I have just got close to them and of course I found it very difficult and I have to say this particular year as a filmmaker I've never experienced anything like it because you know um the pressure anyway of making a film and the you know I feel such um uh, 
you know, to have the opportunity and the privilege to be given support by RCE, Screen Ireland, you know, we have sales agents involved. There's a lot of pressure on you to deliver. So obviously I've had that pressure. Then I have the pressure of being uh, close to people that I know are going through difficult times and I want now to be a support to them. I know, you know, I've gone beyond the filmmaker. I need to feel like, you know, I am um, there for these people. Um, then of course I have my own personal dilemmas I would have struggled myself with mental health issues and I lose my mom this year who has been such an inspiration to me no this is okay you know this is part of life's journey Um, but you know you go through you know that's my mom has been an inspiration I started this journey as a filmmaker with her, uh, you know, Cork, for example, I had the opportunity when I graduated to um, screen at Cork for the very first time and mum was in the audience and it's such a memory of hearing her laughter in the audience as her film played and she'd she'd been amused, for want of a better word, uh, to me over the years. So now I go to Cork this year and mum won't be around. So, uh, and this Christmas, this is the irony of it. This Christmas will be my first Christmas without mom. So, you know, it's, there's a big, big whammy. And I think I have had, um, I've, you know, it's just, it's, it's been a complicated time. So when you're editing a film like this, it's, it's, it's just, it brings into play so many emotions, you know, so yeah, I can I can I can only imagine because sometimes it's like, oh, something might be a catharsis, but not if you're in the trenches. If you're in the yeah, trenches, no, you're I, sort of just picking at scabs. Yes, you're picking at scabs. That's a good way of looking at them. And I had come out of the trenches. Sorry, I had been editing and then my mum passed away. But obviously, mum had been in a bad place for quite some time. So it's 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 been a yeah, it's just been a bit of a, a roller coaster. Yeah, roller coaster, roller coaster of a year. Yeah, I'm so sorry. That is, um, it is awful. And I think in some ways there's, uh, there does seem to be like a profound struggle, I think, for people since post-COVID, um, like domestic abuse is up, like just around the world. It seems to be like, I think it has taken a big toll on people. You, So many people that I'm talking to like it's like the fallout has taken so much time and so much time has been taken from people um in that do you know like people maybe that weren't well couldn't get visitors isn't good for people um you know like that lack of social cohesion that would have kept people together sort of was so broken and I don't think ever fixed in a way that I do think like even if it was difficult for you I think your film will resonate with people because there's you know, there is that hopeful aspect of it and maybe give catharsis to other people. But I, I can't imagine, like, I mean, even watching it, it was very difficult parts of it to watch, but it's so hopeful. Like it ends on such an upbeat thing and you are left going, you know, um, you know, anything is possible and let's let's make the most of it. But I, I like picturing that other side of that, of processing that because it's so raw. Um, it, yeah, I... I think it is so raw. It's weird that you should bring up COVID because it seems like a distant memory, but I do think it continues to have an impact on all our lives. And it's sort of hard to work it out because I felt like I sailed through it personally, you know, but now when I talk about it and I'm thinking about my, you know, I mentioned my mental health um, earlier. And of course I would have struggled long before COVID, but 
it definitely had an impact. And then you mentioned time. And I think time is something um, that Jason brings up, of course, at the end of the film and that we forget about it, how precious time is to all of us and how it is ultimately the greatest thing we have. And if you've lost that amount of time. So when I look back, my mum was in a nursing home and my memory of her being in a nursing home beyond the fact that she got COVID and we were all scared, senseless that this would be the end because my mom had COPD and, you know, actually she, you know, she would not have survived, but she didn't get any symptoms. So she was one of the lucky few, but my, my memory of that, and I made a film during COVID, which was Cocoon. So I had the opportunity to go see her when other people couldn't, but it was, my mom getting a hug from a nurse behind the window. And that was my, the nurse was kindly uh, substituting what I couldn't do. I couldn't reach out and hug her. And, you know, it was only on the drive home. I was like, God, I'm a single gay man. I'm lived, I'm locked in. I see nobody on the planet now. And I know that nurse was someone with a big family whose kids were there. I was like, it doesn't make sense. I, you know, it, there's something wrong here. And yet we all, you know, we did follow. And honestly, I would have been totally on that side. I'm not, I was not, I abided by all the rules. I totally bought into it. But when you look back on it, and I'm not bringing us down a rabbit hole of was it right or wrong, but it was just traumatizing, you know, all of it. It was, it didn't traumatize you in the moment. It's just every time you sat back and thought about the things that were happening, it was just like, oh, what the fuck? Like, how are we going to cope with this? And the people that were vulnerable, um, like the people in your film, your subjects in your film, people that were struggling financially, people that, you know, even if you're in a, if you're in a home, you, if, if you don't own the home, if you, if it's not your house and you don't have money that you know you can pay all the bills, Yes. You're not like you don't feel safe. It's Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You don't you don't your base level isn't covered. You're never you're never like there's a trauma to living like that day to day. Um, that loneliness of two of your characters, two of your elderly characters that are sort of navigating life completely isolated, I think really echoed that theme because so much of the supports and systems that would have kicked into place maybe five, six years ago because of because of the way society has been going, because of our kind of slightly leaning to conservative fiscal values and because of uh, like an overstretched healthcare system that never kicked into gear again. Like uh, all that community outreach never really fully picked up and you can feel it. Like I'm in yes. my community, you just can't, you can tell that there are people that are left behind that are further left behind. Um, they just, it just never, it just wasn't there. And, you know, people, I think also, something happened with the rest of the community we work so everyone is like working and everyone I see now seems to be working these crazy crazy hours but it just means like that philanthropy that volunteer work that people would have given time or reached out doesn't seem to be there either so it just seems like systemically as a community we're failing and I think the subject matter of your film touches on that in different ways and and the fallout of it and I think it's very much so post-covid because I think it has heightened and made every single element of it worse. Well, I hadn't heard this um, said before, but Annette, uh, who does live on her own, as, as, and when we found her, we had great research working on this project, and, but she actually reached out to us via Facebook, and she hadn't seen a human being in six weeks, 
when we met her. And she re- would always refer to things as BC. That was BC. And it was always before COVID. And her life, she sees as before COVID and after COVID, that there was a shift in, as you say, community outreach in people, her, you know, there was this sudden stop to people meeting each other, coming around to each other. And that hasn't recovered for someone like Annette, who lives on her own in the middle of, you know, nowhere. Well, she's not that far away from Enfield, but if you don't drive like Annette, she has no options. You know, there's no local buses really that she can get to. And she, so she has really seen the uh, change since COVID has hit and has become much more um, secluded because of that. Uh, so it's, it's, and I think you're right, like at the end of the day, all the characters have different problems, but maybe loneliness is the one that prevails at all, because if you are struggling financially, it is a lonely journey. Okay, you've got your family to hug and stuff, but ultimately it's down to you at the end of the day, how you, you're going to cope the following morning when you're faced with having X amount in your purse or wallet. And that's a lonely scenario to go to bed with and hit the pillow and, you know, no one to share that thing with about how am I going to get through tomorrow if you, you know, so I think loneliness is something that maybe we all started to understand. I mean, we all question at different stages in our life, what's it all about? Uh, Are we, you know, invariably, if you're in a family, we all have these things like moments where the light bulb goes off oh god i'm on i'm on my own in this world ultimately it's down to me and maybe covid just had us thinking about that a lot more than we would on a day-to-day basis <laughs> you know i you know i think we've all experienced that moment when you look in the mirror and you just it hits you that gosh it's me on my own here okay i've got xyz going on i've got these people around me but maybe that was hitting us all during covid I don't know where I'm going with this, but I think you're right. We go back to the beginning of our conversation. You talked about themes and how I always think they emerge during the filmmaking process. You have an idea uh, where what where your conversations will take you and the types of subjects we'll talk about. And obviously, um, you with us, we had a narrative that it was going to be the lead up to Christmas. So that was an obvious journey to go on. But then the themes start to emerge naturally. They just happen. And then you find yourself in the edit just veering towards this. And then you discover this and that ties in. And then lo and behold, you have the theme of loneliness and the theme of hope, the theme of, you know, start to emerge. And that's kind of something that happens in documentary filmmaking, I think, personally, organically. And that if you try from the early stages to kind of, impose themes especially if you've got a narrative that's going to emerge it's sort of a pointless exercise because you innately will be starting to ask those questions anyway and it will evolve and it's kind of a bit more exciting then yeah. it's much more of a journey and because you shot in film this time and had less subjects was it an easier edit or was it harder to pinpoint the subject matter I think it should have been an easier edit. I think I made it much more complicated than it needed to be personally. I stepped back a little bit. John is an amazing editor. Like John O'Connor has worked on this and he he worked on making the great. And it was a real revelation for me to work with an editor because previously 
with his and hers and Mamma Mia, I edited myself. And it's uh, for me, it was a nightmare, to be honest. It took longer. His and hers was kind of simpler. Mom and me was a bit of a chore and I have to be said. I had to really get help uh, with that particular project in the edit. But I think I stepped away from it because of the subject matter and me being scared of the emotional uh, impact it was having on me personally. I probably stood back from it a little bit too long and left John at it so that when I came in on the story properly and when I started to see the film, it was quite late in the day. And that's because of me and being scared of the material and scared of the um, probably where I was in emotional state myself during it. And uh, so I think it was more complicated. Now, you know, we got through it was all, you know, I'm really, really pleased with the film. Uh, but I guess I could have found it that little bit quicker. There's a moment when you see a film and for the first time, uh, properly see it. And that came a little bit later than I, it should have. That's very interesting. And have you, just because of that relationship to the subject matter, would you be slower to sort of sit in if you're doing a Q&A or anything afterwards? Like, is it something that you kind of, you'll, because I know you probably like to feel the the, the audience's reaction sometimes, or would you not oh, have had do, that relationship? We do do, um, now, we do do test screenings. So that's a mixed bag of results that can be had out of that, you know? Um, I personally believe that like with a test screening you have to know what you're chasing and um if it's too like oh, what's the word I don't know prescribed sort of prescribed or something I I don't go to them for a start because I would have the heebie-jeebies and I would probably get sick in my mouth and have to walk out anyway but so, so I get the feedback afterwards and sort of work through it from there uh John was attending them the the two screenings that we held so and then we had one separate screening um they are they're really important to be honest they are I personally find them really important I can see why other people shy away from them I think it's a it's it's down to a director and what they want to achieve from it I think with this one it was valuable at the end of the day whatever way I look at it it they were value, valuable experiences so I'm not sure if this is answering your question when it comes to the finished film and watching it with an audience I will uh, I will sit through it at the Cork Film Festival and that's probably the last time I'll watch it because it's just so difficult for me. I just see everything that, you know, is wrong with it. And, you know, once you've seen it, you know, it's not a pleasant experience. I don't find it a pleasant experience anyway. I'm just, it's really nerve wracking. So I don't tend to watch it. I want to watch it with the characters who are in the film and they'll all be at Cork apart from Annette who can't make it. So that will be a shared experience. And thereafter, I'll just let it be. And I'll, you know, if we're fortunate to have more and more screenings, but obviously we have a bit of a release now. But. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the funding and the funding as well. So it's Screen Ireland, um, uh, RT, Commission Yumyan, Creative Ireland, Europe Media, and then Outlook came on as um, distributors a little bit later in the process. No, they were very early. Or they, or they from the, the, from the yeah. beginning? Yeah, yeah. From very early on, um, well, they, I don't know how early in the kind of financing process, but they were definitely before we were shooting it. 
I just want to talk a little bit about the business of this. Um, so does your antidote work feed into that? Like, does that build some of the relationships um, with with some, you know, like people adjacent to the funding, um, you know, get you out and about? Or are they just two completely separate entities that sort of one does it's most very... of their life keeping on and the other stuff yeah. does the emotionally... Yeah, that's the reality here, Gemma. Um, they do operate very like in different spaces, to be honest. And it's rare that we can merge the two of them. Now, we did have a scenario back actually during COVID where there was a brand involved in a particular project, but that was very much televisual, where Venom is really focused on theatrical feature-length documentaries. So that particular project, even though it was long form, it was led by the Antidote team. Um, But that was the closest that we would have had the two crossing over. The worlds are very separate, to be honest. You know, I think where they do collide sometimes is because we're documentary makers and every so often we... um, we get uh, TV commercials that are drawing down on real stories, one real characters. And then we sort of find that our teams that we've worked with across research and the documentary space, even the DPs that are good in documentary and have a, a that wealth of knowledge, then we kind of combine our knowledge at that point. But it's it's not very often, you know. I am on the antidote books as a director, so I do tend to get when documentary projects come in. You know, I would tend to get a look at them, or I have done in the past. Um, I get protected once you go into production mode. Uh, you know, Andrew would protect me; wouldn't you know? Wouldn't be showing me any projects for fear that I'd say, "Oh, look, that's an opportunity can't be missed." Is that concentrate on your film? So. And over the years, of course, in the context of keeping the lights on and the bills paid and so forth, you know, Antidote has been uh, really important in that aspect. And certainly through the times, you know, and 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 one takes away from the other, you know, obviously, you know, if Andrew's very busy in Antidote, his time isn't always, you know, we can't have him but in place so we've you know fortunately now we've got Samantha Core in the team who operates as a producer which we wouldn't have had in the past and we've got Jesse Hayden working with us as a production coordinator and they're both fantastic and that's taken a lot of the the work you know it's, it's meant that we can now operate really successfully as both companies and that one doesn't have to take from the other and that they we come together obviously and have um meetings and our strategy meetings and so forth but it's it's working but i would be lying to say that antidote hasn't helped us out in the past with regards to keeping the lights on in these premises you know of course and with regards to um you know working on a on a kind of feature project with that many funders um and i know like commission miani have to have a certain amount uh in you know, lined up before they kind of come on board. And then I presume like a distributor helps with sales elements. Just talk to me a little bit about the process of, um, you know, like pitching it, like what maybe the deliverables are when you start to shoot it. And then, you know, do they come in for edits then when you're getting things across the line? What are your deliverables? So I can't really talk about the financing side of it, but I I was obviously involved in the pitch. So I do step back from all the financing questions around my own personal projects in particular. I don't think it's different hats. 
yeah, it's a different hat. It's cross-contaminating if I suddenly have an opinion on stuff. So I'm really sheltered from that. And that's fantastic, I have to say. Uh, and a great privilege for me as a documentarian because so many documentary filmmakers have to be their own producers and are very much involved in that side of the business. I'm not, okay? So I do get a little bit involved on other projects that we would be developing. What I can talk about is the pitching side of it. And, you know, I would be brought in to talk about my own creative intentions. And, you know, and I think pitching it and presenting it as a project is really something that actually we benefited in Venom about having the involvement for Antidote because Antidote produce a lot of pitches every month they've been involved in two or three and you know the level of quality of those pitches you know in certainly like year on year they've had uh, been improving upon improving their presentations and you know there was a time when all you did was like create um, a document like a uh, document with a few images embedded in it so now you've got gifs you've got um, you know, you've got samples, you've got um, mood boards, you've got everything. So I think what we've learned now is so that we've brought into uh, our Venom pitches and really tried to present projects in a really um, exciting, vibrant way that make them stand out. And I suppose also because I've had to pitch in front of commercial um, agencies, I'm also got very used to pitching projects. So I do think that's a bit of a gift because you suddenly become a salesperson, you know, and I've learned the hard way because I've won and I've lost pitches and I sort of now understand what wins and loses things. And so that I've developed a certain ability in that area. So I can speak kind of about the pitching process and how important that is and how we can forget that as filmmakers that you ultimately you're going to have to stand up and sell this. To and people. it sells completely. OK, so what is what is maybe the one thing that you would have loved to have known when you were looking for funding back in the day? Do not do these things because it loses people. Well, I think the most important thing is to believe in your vision and never veer off it because people are there to try to question you and suddenly you'll find yourself trying to appease certain issues or something someone throws in and suddenly they don't actually, in the majority of cases, they just want you to be assured of your vision. And I think back in the day, if I was presented with someone going, oh, well, I'd prefer if it was, and then we're like, oh, but maybe I could do that. And we could think about this. And, and then suddenly it's like, oh, they're not actually sure. I would be very, very um, assured of my vision. And this is the way we're doing it. Uh, you can board or not, that's your decision. But, you know, so I'm very clear on that. And I think that's what I've learned that like win or lose, it's best that you present yours, your uh, creative intentions as yours and don't veer away from it. You know, just don't try to appease. If you feel you're losing a person or something, it's, it's pointless trying to win them back that way. It's just, yeah. So I think that's what I would have learned over the years. And that's some very good, um, very good <laughs> like point of view as well, because I do think, yeah, I think you're worried about too many cooks. Yeah, we're all worried. You know, if you've got three or four people in front of you and they're all questioning, there's going to be, you know, it's their job is to be um, bad cop. It's the bad cop. There's always a bad cop, but they're just there to kind of just throw in curveballs. And it's important that you keep the train on the track and your vision is that, you know, track. So you keep it there, you know. So um, then, of course, 
the deliverables and, uh, and that's when you have to bring people on the journey. And I think even though the director, again, should be in a way sheltered from this um, because the producers should be bringing the financiers, the partners on the journey through the process with the updates. And I think up to everybody just wants to be included and to hear what's happening, good, bad, ugly, it's best to just be upfront with people so that they feel that they're part of the team. And, and so they are part of the team, you know, and their uh, experience, their judgments, all that are, are, you know, are heard. And I think when, so when we talk about deliverables, I always think of by the time we get to that stage, people have seen it, have seen how the project has evolved, have been taken from the results of the research. For us, the research is casting they know who we're filming with and they get um updates all the time and for us those updates are really exciting because we're getting updates at the same time because it's 35 millimeter so we're getting dailies and then we're passing them on and it's it's we're all going oh gosh you know that was that was a great day or that was a more uh complicated day or whatever and then Coming out the other side, they are getting to see the edit and how that is evolving and the decisions we're making. So I think by the time they see the final film, they've really gone on the journey with you. And they're and not, and they wouldn't say be very strong notes or anything like that. They'd be more lenient uh, with that across the board. They're, look, they're, when you have lots of partners, the notes will vary and it's very difficult if they can... But I have to say, in the vast majority of cases, everybody understands that there's multiple partners at play and we're all chasing the best film. And we will, you know, it's not like any one overrides the other. You kind of find that kind of space that's right for the project. And this is ultimately, you know, you know, this is where we're landing. And, you know, if we go to, a, you know, to again, try to maneuver it into this, we might be caused problems elsewhere. It is a documentary as well. And everybody understands that, you know, it's not like a script and it should be this, that and the other. Um, so I think there's an understanding there. But again, I, in fairness to the producers on the project, both Andrew and Sam, they protect you from that. They kind of, and you just get the top lines and you work with that in, in the majority of cases, you know, um, but, you know, it's, I wouldn't like to say it's all roses, but I, I think we found the film in the end after, and the feedback's always been um, productive and, you know, ha have led to, um, to solutions if there were problems or, um, ideas emerge from them, you know, ultimately. So I think it's, you know, and and again, you know, when you are given the responsibility and you get a budget, you know, you understand that it is gifted to you by different people and they become stakeholders and that's what it's all about, you know. And that they ultimately do want what's best for it. Yes. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, that's the best project. At the end of the day, everybody involved is chasing the best film. And that ultimately is the combination of all our our um minds
I, I just I, I just want to <laughs> say thank you. <laughs> but that is brilliant. No, but it's good to know as well, because you're just wondering like how the politics of that works on some levels. But I, I'm totally aware that this this is this I, I'm monopolizing your time. I, I have about oh, 800 no. more questions that I that I'm going to ask. Oh, God, no we'll come more. back for the next one. Yes. <laughs> we'll go into more process. <laughs> but thank you so much. It was just yeah, it was really you. wonderful. It was really wonderful to talk to you. I think what you're saying will mean a lot to people as well I think a lot of people kind of need to to hear that it's it's tough it's a tough industry it's a tough time of year um I think like I really appreciate hearing um just that honesty yeah well thank you Gemma I'm really thankful for your interest in the film mm-hmm.